living life without permission. Recently, I've witnessed people doing what they want because they want to. It doesn't matter if they should. It doesn't matter if they should ensure that they're allowed to. They do it anyway. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> Sadly, I imagine we've all seen it. But it's made me wonder what motivates people to live life without permission. It's made me think of who we are as people. In infancy, we scream and fuss to get what we want, and we're rewarded with a feeding or a diaper change in order to become more comfortable and contented. Then at about two years of age, we begin to more overtly demand not only what we want, but resist adults that tell us we can't do this or that. We've all heard the defiant no of a toddler. Then as we grow into childhood and adolescence, having been instructed in the virtue of honesty, we begin to secretly sneak around to do what we want while overtly pretending we're obeying the rules. Yes, I've done my homework. When the report card comes back with poor grades and teacher comments saying assignments haven't been done. Or the more sophisticated, yes, I'm going to study with friends. When in reality, we've arranged to go out partying with them. It seems we've trained ourselves to live a life without permission. We can all recognize this as part of our sin nature. The old way of life corrupted by lust and deception, as Paul tells the Ephesians. But has this changed at all since coming to Christ? Are we still doing things in secret while pretending a life of piety and faithfulness? Today's devotional is going to look at the heart of the matter. I researched some websites that promote this type of lifestyle of, I'll do what I want, and there are many. The first that popped up was titled Tiny Buddha and feeds into everything that we may want to hear. It begins with the affirmation that the reader is smart, driven, and a rule follower, then proceeds to say that it's time to stop living according to other people's expectations and time to live for ourselves. The reader or the author proceeds to give her testimony of wanting a great career and a great spouse, but it didn't happen. Now she realizes that she shouldn't have waited for permission to be the person she wanted to be. She should have reached out and grabbed it for herself. And she concludes with gusto, telling her readers, so you're ready? Let's do this. Let's reclaim our dreams. And when we do, we'll inspire others to do the same. Sounds great doesn't it? Getting hold of our life and grabbing our happiness. She even offers readers her guide to loving yourself, which suggests that when we prevent ourselves from doing what we want, we are held back from loving ourselves. And this isn't the only website. The entire first page of my Google search was filled with similar websites advising us how to live life without permission to do what we want without concerns for reprisal or recrimination. Such ideas are founded in the current popular phrase, do whatever makes you happy. A mantra that's been touted time and again in almost every television program I've watched. It can even be found floating around Christian websites, which try to appease us with the distorted version of these verses. verses Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Or Psalm 16.11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
even our favorite, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. All these verses have been construed as God's promise to promote our happiness and well-being. It's been thought to mean that we're to have a great life and that if we don't, then something's wrong. Some sources even quote highly respected biblical scholars, such as A.W. Tozer, as saying the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the wide world. People should be coming to us constantly, asking the source of our joy and delight. This sounds surprisingly like the quote attributed to famous British preacher Charles Spurgeon, who's to a, who is to have said, those who are beloved of the Lord must be the whole, most happy and joyful people to be found anywhere upon the face of the earth. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, is quoted to have jumped on the happiness bandwagon, saying, every Christian is happy, and he who is not happy is not a Christian. Yet try as I might, I couldn't find these exact quotes on happiness as being said by these men. I did, however, find a quote from Tozer which said, No man should desire to be happy who is not at the same time holy. He should spend his efforts in seeking to know and doing the will of God, leaving to Christ the matter of how happy he should be. Tozer also said, let me call it to your attention that the happiness of all moral creatures lies in the giving of obedience to God the Creator. When Charles Spurgeon spoke of happiness, he spoke in these terms, holiness is the royal road to happiness. The death of sin is the life of joy. And John Wesley shared this view, the more holy we are upon earth, the more happy we'll be. These quotes paint a very different picture of Christian happiness. Is it a tricky thing separating the world's pursuit of happiness from God's view? This is made even more so when we are fed a steady diet of achieving personal happiness as a life goal from non-Christians and Christians alike. But if we bought into the notion that we deserve happiness, it's our inherent right then we'll do whatever we can to achieve it, which brings us back to living life without permission. And I want to argue that this has been our problem from the beginning. In Genesis, Eve took one look at the offered fruit and discovered that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, and so she ate it. She didn't seek God's permission or her husband's advice. She did what she wanted at that moment. Of course, we don't have to read much further to realize that this decision didn't lead to happiness, but abject misery. When she and Adam were cast out of the Garden of Eden, their paradise. Similarly, the children of Israel, tired of the deprivations of the desert and the absence of their guide Moses, demanded Aaron make a god for them to worship. They didn't ask permission of Yahweh, who'd done so many miracles for them already. Nor did they ask advice from their spiritual counselor. They simply wanted what they wanted now. In the same way, Aaron didn't seek permission to do such a terrible thing. He took their gold rings and molded them into a calf, an image representative of the eminent Egyptian bull god Apis, an image associated with Pharaoh and his kingly strength. It was connected, of course, to the concept of eternity and peace in the universe, but not to God Almighty, but rather a paltry human 
a replacement of their Yahweh. King David made a similar selfish choice when he arose after his midday rest and spied from his rooftop the beautiful Bathsheba. Without a moment of hesitation, he sent messengers requesting her presence and slept with her. One decision led to another, and it wasn't long before David ordered his commander Joab to place Uriah in the heat of the battle, ensuring his death at the hand of the enemy. Even David, whose name means beloved of God and declared a man after God's own heart, mistakenly thought he could live life without permission. Ananias and Sapphira as well, early believers of the young church, thought they could live life in a similar manner. Wanting to appear as generous and God-fearing as their friends, they pretended to donate all their money from the sale of their property and then lied to cover up their deception. The incident is a gripping account of spiritual cleansing and a reprisal against pious pretense. Where do these stories leave us? Am I suggesting a return to dry and dusty Christianity? A life filled with rules and recriminations? A life filled with demands and obligations and devoid of happiness? Not at all, for the life in the spirit is none of those things. But I want us to be wary, to not secretly do what we know is wrong. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote of this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Jesus taught this in his parable of the faithful, sensible servant in Luke 12, saying, A servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. How do we reference this in our lives? Well, the Ten Commandments is a good place to start for a keeps life contained in some easy instructions. Don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, love God, honor others. Now, you may counter that those are the basics, but life has gotten far too complicated today. But you know what? It really hasn't. In fact, Jesus flushed out these instructions by teaching them more clearly. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. On lying, Jesus said, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. From the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Jesus also teaches on stealing, saying, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? God hasn't given us permission to abuse our bodies with drugs or alcohol or other substances. He hasn't given us permission to curse or engage in fornication or adultery. The world may offer all these things and suggest that they bring satisfaction, even happiness. It may even say we can do them openly or in secret because we don't need God's permission to do what we want. 
But beloved, that is not the way we're meant to live. We are given freedom, as it says in John 8. Yes, but it's freedom to live without fear, as it says in 1 John 4. Or judgment, as it says in John 3. Or rejection, as it says in our famous John 3.16. So stop hiding away in the darkness, doing the things you know you shouldn't do. Our lives are meant to be contented in Matthew 11, abundant, John 10, and joyful, John 15. We have God's permission to live like this. God bless you, beloved. God bless you.